Hey everyone and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. There are forces and events in this world that cause devastating vibrations. Earthquakes, explosions, send a concussion of atom against atom, rippling out and rattling everything from teeth to foundations. Shockwaves that can bring down walls, castles, temples, that can reshape mountains, reform coastlines, and shake the world we know until it's unrecognizable. When a shockwave hits you, you feel every molecule of your body shift in succession as the power passes through you, leaving you to wonder if you're a different person than you were a moment before. While we try to make ripples in our world, Jesus came to make shock waves. Well, good morning, Cheyenne Hills Church. And in studio with me today is Carson Swain. Carson, welcome. Thank you. And you're preaching today. Yes. I'm excited to hear, and I want to talk about that sermon a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about kind of the the role that you're going to be playing and and not only in this state, but a role that we've asked you to consider here for Cheyenne, and you have been praying about it. Yep. Um, the You know, you are the state director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So you're going to continue that role. But w- one time after you preached, I said, you know, Carson, I, I'd like to see you be able to preach more often. And we talked about that, found out you could even maybe carve out a, t- a hunk of time to to run in this lane with high school ministry yeah. here at Shine Hills Church. Kind of already started that. Tell us a little bit about how that's going and what your, your thoughts are there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, 2022 was a huge year for us in FCA, uh, but getting to preach at church, it really fills my bucket personally, just to be able to spend time in the scriptures and the message to be able to encourage people with, yeah. you know, as I'm growing and changing, I want to be able to help others. And I just thank yeah. you for the opportunity to preach at church. And so through 2022, they just hit a couple dry spells where, um, you know, with FCA and, and the nature of that uh, job, it was just, it's good, but it's tough and preaching really, really fill my bucket. So I'm just looking forward to being able to do that more. And then there was a need here at church for uh, leadership with the senior high. Right. Um, so we talked about that a little bit, prayed about it a lot. And it gives me more opportunity to be with those kids directly where in FCA right now, I'm pre- predominantly just with adults. And right. so I just, I was so excited to serve at church, uh, to be able to step into leadership and then more teaching and preaching through that, trying yeah. to help the senior high. And, and that changed my life when I was their age. So I'm excited. You know, when, when you told me those things, I, I resonate cause I was a FCA guy yeah. early in my ministry and I know what you mean. It's, it's uh, you lead through coaches, you lead through, and you do a lot of fundraising. You do a lot of those kind of behind the scenes things yeah. actually set up, you know, golf tournaments, you set up, you know, different kinds of events. And, yeah. um, but, but to actually be, do the preaching and teaching, it, it is a different kind, especially if you have a desire and uh, a gifting for that. And I, I'm glad you're here, uh, certainly, uh, to preach this morning, but also to be leading our, our high school ministry this next year. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing, we call it a resident. Um, so it's just, you know, you're going to run in that lane yeah. specifically and going to give you some opportunities to preach. So yeah. without any further ado, Cheyenne Hills Church, would you please give a warm welcome to Karsten Sween. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, quick plug for Thrive. So if you're 7th through 12th grade, I would love to see you guys 
at Thrive Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8.30, if you've come once or multiple times. Um, but we'd like to see you back. Or if you've never come at all, come check it out. Uh, going to youth group when I was in senior high changed my life. It helped me to be with Jesus and to become more like him. Uh, right now for Thrive, we're doing a resolutions, New Year's resolutions theme. And the kind of the problem that we're focusing on is that you can lose weight, you can eat better, you can go to the gym, you can read more books and still be a jerk, you know? <laughs> but we want to be like Jesus. So New Year's resolutions are good, but uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 is what we've been looking at. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. So let's have resolutions, but let's do them for God's glory. So please join us for Thrive on Wednesday nights. Two weeks ago, Galen talked about, we, we opened this series, Shockwaves. Galen talked about earthquakes. Last week, Cole did an amazing job, and he was talking about love waves and earthquakes. And so I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, this is more than a, a concept or a theory for me. I grew up in Southern California, and I've lived through a lot of earthquakes, okay? Um, I looked up this thing, and the USGS reports that there are over 10,000 earthquakes a year just for Southern California. And granted, a lot of them are really, really small, but there's a lot of them. Um, you know, when I was in school, I remember having to get underneath desks because of earthquakes and at my house having to hide under our dining room table because there was an earthquake. Uh, one night in high school, uh, woke up in the middle of the night. If it's big enough to wake you up, it's pretty decent. And it's knocking stuff off my shelves. I was really scared. It was really uh, pretty traumatic. I mean, even furniture in California, it's like if you buy a shelf, it's like attach it to the wall. You don't want this thing coming down on you or a kid. Um, but the worst earthquake, you know, I was thinking about the, was the worst one. The worst earthquake we ever lived through was July 4th, 2019. A 6.4 magnitude earthquake quake hit 11 miles from my hometown. 11 miles. It was massive. Um, the earthquake was so large and powerful, it shook the Poly Pavilion at, at uh, UCLA. We were at UCLA for FCA's camp, and we're in the Poly Pavilion where they play their basketball games and the whole pavilion starts to shake and it's loud and we're like what's going on so we evacuate everybody out of the pavilion we're on our phones like where did this come from and it says Ridgecrest California it's my hometown and so I'm immediately scared for my family and we're trying to call them one by one to make sure that brothers and my parents and my grandparents were all safe and thankfully they were and uh, I got a couple pictures to show you guys so that uh, Red Square is where it happened. There's the Garlock Fault. You guys probably know the San Andreas. That one is the, is the major source. But this one hit the Garlock Fault. Next uh, picture. Check out this devastation. So that's how much the, <laughs> the earth moved from this earthquake. And I actually forgot to say, days later, after that 6.4, they experienced a 7.0. It's even bigger than that one. And it was just absolutely crazy. Uh, next picture. Look at that road. That's just from the earthquake. Can you imagine driving when this thing happened? Uh, next picture. <laughs> Look at where this person's standing in like the crack from the earthquake and you can see the trail on the left side, how much it shifted. And then look at that, that, that road, how much it shifted. So anyways, like this is nuts. And I was, you know, you would, you'd see this and maybe you would think uh, nobody must live in Richcrest anymore. I mean, after, after going through that, they must have all evacuated, right? I mean, that fall line is only 11 miles away from my hometown, um, but that's not the case, right? I mean, Southern California, over 10,000 earthquakes a year, but as 
Southern California empty? No, not even close. There's over 20 million people. There's 40 times the population of Wyoming living just in Southern California. And so this is what hit me is guys, people, you know, you get used to earthquakes. Uh, you adjust to them, you pre better prepare for them. Um, and especially those small ones, it just becomes like no big deal. But that's the problem with humans. It's the problem with us. We get used to seismic events, don't we? Especially if it happens a lot. We get used to seismic events. Um, they don't have the effect on us that they first did when we first felt those shock waves. And there are a lot of shock waves in the Bible, aren't they? There's a lot of shock waves in here. There's a lot of shocking stories. But my concern for us is that we've heard them so many times that they start to lose their effect and we just get used to them. Um, now, I was thinking about this one specific story. Uh, so humor me, guys. Do you guys remember reading or hearing the story of David and Goliath when you were little? I mean, when you were a kid or you were younger and you heard the story of David and Goliath, that was shocking. You're like, what's going on here, right? Like you're putting yourself in David's shoes because David's young and you're young and he's young and you're like, man, what would it be like if I had to do this thing, right? And you hear Goliath, you know, he's over nine feet tall and he can throw a spear heavier than your mom. And you're like, David's gonna go fight this guy. Like you're freaking out. He's gonna die. David's got no shot. And then the king gives him some armor and you're feeling a little bit better. He's like, he's got armor. And what does David do? He just ditches it. He's like, this is too heavy. Can't move around. So then you're back to freaking out that he's gonna die again. And you keep reading and you're like, he's fighting a giant, an undefeated warrior that kills people for a living. And there's this young man with a slingshot, right? That's gonna go take on this guy. Um, and that was my next thing I was thinking about. Like when I was little, I'm like, okay, you know, you watch stories and the hero gets some sort of like supernatural weapon, right? So like David's going to get some super sweet giant killer weapon. And he's like, nope, I'm going to go get some rocks by the river and let's do this thing. All right. He grabs the slingshot. So you're back to fearing that David's going to die again. And you're just like on the edge of your seat waiting for the details. And you think that he's done for, but you guys know how the story ends, right? God is amazing. And he shows up for David. And I hear people talk about uh, Goliath in their life, right? It's, oh, it's just it's my Goliath. They have a difficult task or maybe a difficult uh, person. Uh, I've heard people talk about it with their diet. It's like sugar. It's just my Goliath I'm trying to take it down, you know? Um, and it's not like, unless you're giant, unless your Goliath can kill you, it's undefeated, mocking you and ready to take you out. Like it's not your Goliath. It's not meant to be reduced down to some sort of personal metaphor. Like that really happened. David was real. That battle really happened. Now we don't want to get used to these things. Like the, the things that are in this book were real people. It really happens. And it's, and it's just so powerful. And you know, they are just like us and we can be just like them if we have faith, right? Isn't that the point? We're supposed to read this. Like these are real people and they're just like us. And we could be just like David if we have faith. And we don't want these shocking stories to lose their effect. Jesus, as we've been in this for a couple of weeks, Jesus has said some pretty shocking things, hasn't he? Some pretty shocking things. Galen mentioned some. Cole preached last week on some more shocking things. Today, I've got one for you. My passage is about Jesus telling people to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's in the Bible, kids. And uh, we're going to get there and we're going to try to unpack it, as Galen says. Like, we're going we're gonna to do our best with that. But Jesus says, eat my flesh, 
and drink my blood. But here's my thesis point. Here's my main point. If, if you guys are taking notes or if you got your phone, if you want to write this down. Jesus said shocking things like this. He said shocking things to destroy deception. Jesus said shocking things to destroy deception. Why did he say to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Because the people he was talking to were deceived. And to break that deception, Jesus went to the extreme. To break that down, he went to the extreme. And I just want to say, that's not just them. It goes both ways, right? Real people with faith, we can be like them. Well, just like they were deceived, guess who's deceived as well? We are deceived. Like uh, people watching online, you're deceived. Like our families are deceived. This church is going to struggle with deception. Our city, our country, our world, it's pervasive. It's all around us. It's everywhere. Don't believe me? Let's check this out. Um, Who's the father of lies and the king of deception? What's his name? Satan. Great answer. All right. Who's on Satan's team? Who works with Satan in the spiritual realm? Demons. Um, Now, where do they come from? We know that God created all the angels. We know that Satan's angelic name is Lucifer. Lucifer was very powerful and very beautiful. He uh, He convinced one third of the angels to rebel against God. They lost and they were cast out of heaven, according to Revelation chapter 12. Where did they land? Earth. They live here. One third of those angels, fallen angels, demons, they live here on earth. Even Eve in the uh, Genesis, Eve was tempted by who? A talking snake possessed by Satan. So Satan can take uh, many forms to deceive. People in the Old Testament lived for a very long time. Uh, 969 years was how old, old Methuselah got to be, okay? Pun intended. 969 years is how old he was. But he eventually died. How long has Satan been perfecting his game of deception? Over 8,000, right? Like over 8,000 years, Satan has been about that from Eve until our day. And he must be pretty good at it by now. My next question is, who owns this world? God, Jesus would be a good, you know, church answer, right? Um, And yes, God is an ultimate possession of all that he created. And if you read the book of Revelation, you're going to see how Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take it back, right? But who's he going to take it back from? Satan. That's who's got some sort of a hold on this world right now is Satan. And Jesus is going to take it back in Revelation. Um, Now, Satan... um, offer something to Jesus too. So I was thinking about this, like, is that true? Um, What does Satan offer the third temptation after Jesus has been fasting for 40 days? Let's read it. It's in Matthew 4, I think 8 and 9. Matthew 4, 8. Check, check, check. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said to Jesus, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So Satan has some decent control over this world if he's going to offer it to Jesus. And if that's a true temptation, and that was 2000 years ago. Now, I was also thinking about this uh, with how much we've advanced technology with deception. How much does that help Satan? So let's think about this. In the 19th century, we gave Satan radio and where he could communicate his lies to the whole world. And then we gave him phones, not the ones that are in your pocket, but you know, they used to be attached to the wall, believe it or not. All right. But we had phones and you could talk to whoever you wanted through the phones. Um, 
And then we gave him TV. And man, has that been a powerful vehicle for Satan's deception, huh? TV has distracted and destroyed countless lives and the potential that they could have lived up to. In the 80s, we invented the internet. It hit hit most of us in the 90s. Um, I think about the classic movie, You've Got Mail, all right? If you don't know what that movie's about, then you're young, all right? So um, think like the great-great-grandparents of direct messaging, okay? It's like your great-great-grandpa's DMs, all right? They're coming through, you've got mail. And it's a good, it's a good movie. But here's, here's like, I'm thinking about the internet. Man, there's so many bad things that are coming through the internet. But here's a big one. Satan takes pornographic images that used to be printed and distributed physically and, um, and more locally, But now with the internet, you can take that image, upload it, and it can be consumed by anyone around the world instantly. According to research in 2022, adult pornography websites grossed over $1 billion. $1 billion. And that's just the websites. When I heard that, I just like, that's 1 billion lives, you know, being affected, being destroyed. It's false intimacy. It's so wrong. $1 billion. And that's just websites. Also born in the 80s and then exploded in the early 2000s were cell phones, right? And then cell phones became smartphones. Smartphones are essentially a TV in your pocket that pings at you and says, look at me, look at me, look at this. You need to look at it, all right, all day. Um, and, and, it, and there's a lot of deception that's connected to it. Um, and this is what hit me when I was studying this. It's like, guys, it's really... Not super complicated what Satan does. He just does it really, really well. He wants you to do two things. Don't spend time with God and don't believe the truth of God. It's really those two things. Don't spend time with him. Don't believe what he says is true. And what do these devices do? Take our attention. Take our attention. If you were to look at your, there's actually like device health or there's, depends on your phone, but you could look at like how often, how many hours do you spend looking at this device, let alone TV, And then you can weigh that against how much time you spend with God in the Bible. And it's like vastly outweighs it. And so, you know, so Satan doesn't want you to spend time with God. He doesn't want you uh, to trust God's word. The snake in the garden waited until God was not walking with them. And then he challenged Eve on what God told her. It's the same play. It's the same play. 8,000 years later, same play. Church, Satan doesn't want you, your kids, or your grandkids to spend time with God. He doesn't want you to believe the truth in the Bible, and he will do anything he can to take your attention away from that. So again, I was just thinking about the scales. It's like, seriously, one person, who could tell me if you take your social apps, your gaming apps, the amount of time you're on YouTube and TV, combine all of that on the scales of how much time you spend in devotion in the word, it's probably like this, all right? And the, the worst part of it is that your phone keeps track of it. It studies your habits so that it can market what you look at to other people and make money off of you. Your device is designed to capture your attention and prey on uh, children that have little self-control because it's so addicting. <clears throat> it rings, it notifies you, it spends time with you all day, and it probably sleeps by your bed, charging, waiting for tomorrow. All right? It's kind of creepy. Um, Satan loves this thing, okay? Like church Christians don't run TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Christians don't run that, all right? We've got to be very careful. They're not gifts from God. Your Bible is a gift from God, and it doesn't need Wi-Fi to run. It's always connected. It's great, okay? Their Bible is a gift from God. 
So church, I just think Satan is killing it today. In 2023, there's never been a better time for deception. Amen? You guys feel that? Like there's never been a better time to get lost on what the Bible says and what everything else says. And I said all of this to prove the point that we live in a deceived world. Like a fish in water, we swim through deception constantly. It's everywhere. Um, and the same was true for the Jews 2,000 years ago. The Jewish people were also struggling with deception. So I want to invite you guys to come with me. Let's travel back in time 2,000 years ago to when Jesus fed the 5,000. And the big deception for the Jews in their day was this. The Jewish law given by Moses can save you if you try hard enough. That's what they were struggling with. The Jewish law given by Moses can save you if you just try hard enough, if you're just devout enough. Would you guys please turn to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It'll also be on the screens. John 6, verses 1 through 11. Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up uh, on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting his eyes up then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that we can, uh, so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he knew what he was going to do. Uh, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to feed each one of them even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves and he gave, and when he gave thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. So that's crazy. Over 5,000 people fed with seven items. I was thinking about like, Think of Cheyenne Frontier Day's numbers all around Jesus, and he feeds them with seven loaves and two fish. This miracle proves that Jesus is God. It proves that he's God because he created food. He had seven things, which is like enough to feed three hungry men, right? Um, and he created enough for thousands. He created. In John chapter one, it reads this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. So Jesus is our creator. He creates food in this miracle and proves to them that he is God. Everybody here, they love the miracle and they miss the miracle worker. They're so happy for food. It's like Jesus is the first, like, you know, mobile taco food truck. They're just like, this is amazing. Like, like look at all this free food. And they miss the miracle worker. In verse 14, they, they call him a prophet. Oh, you must be a prophet. And I was reading this over and over. It's like, what about creating food out of nothing is like truth telling. Prophets, right? They tell the future or they tell truth about your current reality. They're truth tellers. <laughs> him being a prophet doesn't mean you can feed 5,000 men and countless women and however many children were there. So their creator God is with them, but they're deceived and they miss who he is. And then they literally miss him because he's gone. Jesus that night goes to the other side of the sea 
And uh, side note, he walks on water to get there because he's God. So that's cool. Uh, Jesus walks on water. The multitudes of people, they wake up the next day and Jesus is gone. Thousands migrate to the other side of the sea to find Jesus. Or should I say more free food or even entertainment? I'm sure this was like amazing. Like they didn't have phones and TV, right? Like you have to believe people back then were pretty bored. And now there's like Jesus and he's teaching about awesome things and he's feeding people. And so even if it was entertainment, like they all migrated to the other side of the sea to find him. They didn't know where he was. Um, nothing like this had ever happened before. But Jesus's goal was not to gain more earthly followers. His numbers were expanding rapidly and he is about to toss a hand grenade into all that momentum and blow it up with what he's going to say. Jesus didn't come to be the first social influencer. He came to get you out of hell. Jesus did not come to be a social influencer. He came to get you and I, he came to get this world out of hell. The Bible says that his mission was to seek and save the lost. Jesus enters into a discussion once the crowd has found him and he's teaching. They, they, he enters into a discussion about manna in verse 31. Talk about manna. Now, manna was divine providence. God made this food appear while his people were in the desert to sustain them. It was miraculous and it only lasted one day. You couldn't hoard it. You needed to have it every day. Sounds like something else. <laughs> um, now, Jesus says in verse 49, he says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Jesus came to give people nourishment and defeat death, but not the physical kind, right? The crowds wanted more miracles. They wanted more free food. They wanted more stuff that was like manna. Jesus knows that he is the miracle. He sustains man eternally. And he came from heaven. He is that manna. He's like, this was just something that was meant to show you that I am here and I can sustain you. And that's what he's driving at. He sees with heaven's eyes and they can't because they're deceived. And that's a huge prayer for us this morning is, Lord, help me to see with heaven's eyes. Help me to see what is eternal. Everyone there is sick and dying spiritually. Everyone there is sick and dying spiritually. They're deceived and they think that the law can save them, but only Jesus can save them. He is the cure to the poison of sin. And Jesus knows that everybody has been bitten by that. The law given by Moses covered sin. They sacrificed lambs spilling the blood to cover sin. Um, in John chapter one, um, uh, John says that, uh, he says, here comes the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Call, tells Jesus that you are this lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus came to absolve sin, take it away, eradicate it. The Jews believed that they could save themselves if they just tried hard enough. And Jesus is like, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to try. You just got to believe. And they don't get it. They don't get it. And he has tried. It has been multiple days. So what does Jesus do? kind of like a parent sometimes, your kids don't get it. You're like, all right, we're going to get right to the point. Okay, so here we go. Verse 53 and 54, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That was shocking then. It's still shocking today. It was even more shocking, I think, back then because they didn't know what that meant. Um, the whole multitude, all those crowds, they're like, see you later. You're crazy. They all leave. They all leave. And Jesus even asked his disciples, he says, are you guys going to leave? 
And let's read uh, Peter's response in verse 68 and 69. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so like for them, Jesus didn't even explain it. A lot of times he would explain the parables, but in this moment, Jesus doesn't explain it. He says, are you going to leave? And they're like, no, we know that you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. We know that you have the words of eternal life and we're going to follow you and just trust that at some point it's going to make sense. And it did when he died and he sacrificed himself on the cross. He rose again when the spirit was sent um, to all believers through Pentecost. They had the understanding. It's like, here's what Jesus meant. Consume him and consume his sacrifice. He's not endorsing cannibalism. He's saying, consume me and consume my sacrifice. And Jesus has said, John 1, is, he's the word. The word is with God. The word's been there since the beginning. This is part of who Jesus is. And when we spend time in our Bibles, we're spending time with him. And Jesus says, eat this book like the manna of old. Eat that book every day. Every day there's fresh sustenance. There's fresh truth there for you. And he wants you to have it. And once we consume his sacrifice, we know that we're saved and we're going to heaven and we can have those eternal lives and we can, those eternal eyes, and then we can be the light to the world, okay? But Jesus was surrounded by deception. And I know you guys are too. And I know you have a lot of frustrating people or you see and hear things that really drive you up the wall. They drive you crazy. It drove Jesus crazy too. So be patient and be loving. And Jesus says, eat his flesh, drink his blood, consume him and consume his sacrifice. So I just want to ask you guys, I want to ask you church, will you consume this book? What is the spirit putting in your heart right now? What do you feel convicted by? Maybe it's less of this. I'm not saying that this thing is evil. I'm saying it is trying to take your attention away from God and you got to be careful with it. What is God saying to do about the Bible? If, you, if you're not a Christian, you know, do you want to pray today to receive Christ, to consume him and be saved and know that you're going to spend eternity? Jesus came to seek and save the lost and he wants to do that today for you. And if you're a Christian that's been stumbling and you've been caught up in some deception, you are one prayer away from that closeness with God and that just having a clean, pure heart. And I just want to say this last thing. Eternity hangs on this decision. What will you choose? you to, in the stillness of this time, just close your eyes. As Karsten said, you could be one decision away, one prayer away from knowing for sure what's going to happen next after this life is over, to choose heaven or hell. And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you're right there, if you're right at that door and you're saying, I choose heaven, I choose Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. I invite you to, in your own words, pray this prayer with me. Whether it's silently to yourself or aloud, just pray this prayer as if there's nobody else in this room but you and Jesus. He's sitting right next to you. 
This room is empty except just you and him. And he's sitting there and quietly listening, waiting for you to ask. That's all it takes is to ask, to invite him into your life. And that prayer just goes like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that sin in my life has stopped my relationship with you and blocked it. And so right now I invite you to come into my heart and my life. To cleanse me from that sin, to wash my heart and my life as white as snow. So Jesus, I invite you to do that now. So that one day when I see you in heaven, I can hear you say, welcome. Enter into the joy of eternity. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I just invite you to let somebody know. On the back of our cards, our programs, is a place where you can just write, I did it. I accepted Christ today. And you can hand it in. You could tell somebody at the guest service counter, tell Karsten, tell me. It's the best decision you can make in this life. And maybe there's something else God is trying to do in your heart. Maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years. Maybe you said, I, I chose and I was convinced a long time ago, but today I need this worked on in my heart. I invite you just to stay there in that moment with Jesus right there next to you. Nobody else in this room, just with him. As we sing this song, just let him speak to you and just enjoy this moment to meditate with him. Be jealous of this moment. Don't let it fade away. But we believe that the same Jesus that rose from the grave is the same Jesus, has the same power that he's always had. And he's here right now. Calling 
And let's just lift up a clap to our King today. Um, you know, when we talked about this long, I don't know how many weeks ago, talked about after Christmas, knowing that, okay, we've got a plan and here it is. And it's like, this is that day and this is that song and it's like, this is that moment. And uh, I'll tell you, I came in today, you know, you guys were warming up and I turned that corner, just sat there and listened to you. It's like, you know, you've, you've made such a mark on all of our hearts. You, that sound that you, it's uniquely James Damey. Yeah, the, the band you put around you, your voice and all that. And I will just tell you, it's, uh, uh, I was just soaking it in. It's like, man, we're going to, I'm going to miss this, James. You've done an awesome job. You make it, yeah. <laughs> 14 years you've been doing this. And, you know, I got to thinking, I, I got a little nostalgic, so you guys <laughs> hang on. But you're sitting down, so you should be comfortable. But. <laughs> You got, you got your fingerprints all over this. I mean, the lights, the, where they're positioned, the sound, the sound panels. I remember you tacking those up because there wasn't enough sound panels. Those guys that came in didn't do enough, so you fixed it. And I don't know, just so many things like that, whether it's backstage or on this stage. I think your name is written on one of these planks right here. You signed that and beam up. A hit. We were talking about that all this. Your fingerprints are, and your signatures all over this place. And... Uh, you are going to be greatly, greatly missed. You are a dear brother in Christ to me, and I wish you all the best for whatever that next step is. And I've told him this several times, but I feel like a parent, how my parents felt. Oh, you even got roses. Oh, that's awesome, Aaron. Good job. Oh, I got to say, this is the best tech team in the world. Yeah, that's, that's true. The tech yeah, team, that's I awesome, mean, you some, guys. Some tech teams would give bees. No, yeah. But. <laughs> well... That's awesome. But anyway, to, uh, just to say, you know, you've, you put your, your signature on this place. You put your signature on our hearts. But, you know, leading us into the presence of God week in and week out, it's not an easy thing to do. And you've done a fabulous job. And we're going to greatly miss you. I will greatly miss you uh, leading us. And uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to, how to end this moment. I'm not, I'm not really crazy about it. Um, I'm not good at these ending things. 14 years you've been here. And uh, boy, a lot of a lot of great memories, James. Lots of lots of great memories. Thank you. And I just want to say yeah. thank you too, if that's okay. Yeah, just, go ahead. I want ahead. to say thank you to this church, and some of you have been here for even longer than that. Um, yeah. Stayed faithful, and it's been an honor to be your worship pastor and to lead you into that throne room. And um, I'm I am I'm humbled and I'm thankful. And uh, so grateful for the leadership. You you got me as just a little pup. And yeah. <laughs> you were 12, I think. I don't even think I was potty here. trained yeah. at the time. <laughs> and, and I'm just so grateful for every moment, for every lesson, for every uh, good, every yes. bad, every in-between day. I'm, yeah. I'm so thankful. Uh, and, awesome. and I'm not moving to Florida. I know I said that the other week and it yeah. came off weird. Yeah. I'm not moving to Florida. However, that would be a good idea today. Today I, think I might be, move to Florida. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but you do have some gigs started. And I, I've yeah. seen to say, you know, as a parent, I know how my parents felt now when I went in the ministry. It's like, you're going to do what? What's the plan? It's like, I don't know. God's lead me. That's kind of what you've got right now. And so be praying for James and his wonderful wife, April, and his son, Noah, over here playing, his other sons in college. 
learning music and things, and so you've just sailors your... back there. Hiding. And she's yeah. She told me she is the actor of the crew. She is. I didn't know she is. that's yeah. so. You all have you put your mark on everybody, but um, we we do. I want you to be praying for him and them on this next step in this journey. And you know, I know as pastors, as ministers, we. We do this to glorify God. We don't do it for ourselves. We say we glorify God, but I don't think we don't want to share that we don't touch the glory, right? That's yep. one of our core values. Don't touch the glory. And this is not touching the glory. Would you give my dear brother in Christ a big round of applause? <laughs> a good one. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, a good one. Well, as you go across the street and around the world, do keep this family in your prayers, guys. Yeah. And uh, God bless you all. Thanks for being here today. Yep. yep. 